It's not an IT thing. It's not an admin thing. It's a core where your business is going to be sustainable thing. And I think because people are panicked as well, they don't have the headspace in which they can take the breath to get the oxygen to their brain to learn about the technologies that are actually out there and available. People are like, oh, but robots are going to take my job. No, there was a factory that introduced robots, robots into the production line. And for every robot they bought in, they hired eight new staff because they needed people to work alongside the robot in a different way to traditionally how they would have been working. But because it was so effective, it made the whole place more profitable. So they had to hire more people. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. All right, everybody, I don't usually do the introduction live, but I have been doing them for this live ones. My name is Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, a podcast that does what it says on the tin. Together with some awesome guests, I help you nail your next job and have the career that you want. If this is the type of content for you, that is, if you're currently on the market looking for a new job and you're keen to get a new job or a promotion in the near future, or if you're unsure what's happening, you know, we have COVID, we have lockdown, we have recession, you don't know what to do with your career plans anymore post-2020, make sure that you subscribe by clicking wherever you found this podcast. We are available everywhere. You can also pay it forward and share the love by recommending this podcast to someone you believe will benefit from listening. Each episode includes show notes, which has all the links and information that we mentioned in our discussion, and also has information about how to reach out to me if you're looking for a career coach or are interested in my services and products. I also have a whole bunch of free tools and resources that you can sign up for my newsletter and get them all in your inbox. This is the third live recording in Melbourne during the Victorian 2020 Digital Innovation Festival or DIF 2020. DIF 2020 is an initiative of the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions. And as I explained before in previous live recordings for DIF 2020, precincts in Australia are not jails, they are our innovation hubs. And we are very, very, very fond of our innovation precincts here in Victoria. We also have a very robust corporate sector with a strong banking and finance sector, mining energy companies, telcos, higher ed, public sector, amazing startups, NGOs, development agencies, not-for-profits. You know, it's really a wonderful place to be if you're a business or if you're starting up or if you're a professional and you want to look for work. I'd like to thank and welcome all the lovely people that have registered to attend today, the ones that are here live, even better. Now let me introduce my guest. Associate Professor Catherine Bow is a scientist, futurist, speaker, advisor, author, founder, executive producer, executive director, company director, and charity patron working across global projects where emerging technologies meet humanitarian education and environmental needs. Whew. Catherine also mm-hmm. likes to create businesses and champion movements, collaborate with peers, and advise game changers. She's a sought-after voice across the startup, futurist, and tech world. She works globally across a wide range of projects from creating documentaries and world-leading conferences and events to advising on the use of novel approaches like drones across environmental and humanitarian projects. Catherine is a proponent of community engagement with STEM and likes to demystify emerging tech. She has a Bachelor of Science Honours in Environmental Protection and a PhD in Spatial Ecology, Descriptive and Predictive Statistics from the University of Newcastle upon time. She lives in Queensland with her husband and two sons. And that's when I knew that this bio was very up to date. (laughs) Because I haven't seen you in a while. So congratulations on having another son, baby, I have two boys as well. I think it's awesome. And congratulations on your ANU appointment. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. It's been an interesting year, hasn't it? It has been been a very busy year. (laughs) Very busy year. 
Yeah, life changes when, what is it? Life's happen, what, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. I had so plans for 2020. That's a yes, John Lennon quote. Yeah. It is a John Lennon quote. We need to change it for COVID. Life is what happens when you're locked down. And, and life is what happens COVID. when you're unable to do anything because of COVID. <laughs> yes. Mm. So I think, you know, it's a good way for this podcast to start with the guests' careers. And I've been very lucky to hear your, how you grew up and how you began thinking about what you wanted to do. And I have to say, my jaw dropped. <laughs> <laughs> when I heard, you know, about your upbringing, about your beginnings, your career progression, your early years. And I'd love for you to share some of that with my guests today. Well, it's definitely been a roller coaster. And you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not Australian born, though I am an Australian now. I've been here for 10 years, nearly 11 years. Um, I had very humble beginnings, very hardworking mom who, after a divorce, kept working really hard to keep us all on the right side of the tracks. Um, and we were, um, I'd say, what would you call that? Like working class in the UK? Probably would call it that. Um, and Blue we collar? Up, sorry? Blue collar? Blue collar, potentially. She, she, trained, she trained as a lawyer, so she wasn't like okay. a blue collar worker. Yeah, she trained as a lawyer in her late 30s, and it was one of the final nails in the coffin of their marriage, I think, was that my father was just so jealous that. Oh, wow. It, it was not nice. And so I had that trauma with me and I still carry that trauma. We all carry these traumas with, with us. And, and I guess it also gave me a really strong sense of work ethic and that if you really want to succeed when everything's against you, like my mum did it with three kids under 12, like what is there to, like we can do this. You just have to decide you want to do something and go for it. And so, yeah, I managed to get to university, which again was quite rare for my peer group. And I do feel like my education, for me particularly, my education was my global passport. And it's not the same for everybody, but for me, my PhD gave me the wings. I mean, it took part of my soul, half of my sanity, but it gave me a passport to the world to actually be able to get enough points for any visa in any country I ever wanted to go and work in. I could have gone to the States, I could have gone to Canada, I could have gone to New Zealand. I ended up in Australia, uh, working in Western Australia um, on some really cool projects. And from there, I sort of looked at how we innovate inside very, very conservative and legally bound environmental monitoring programs. Um, and we managed to get a drone business line up and running. And then my company was acquired by another company. At that time, I won the Telstra National Businesswoman of the Year for the corporate world. And at the same time, I got made redundant. That's tough. So I literally won Queensland Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. And nine days later, was done. And so what do you do when you've got a crown on your head and a punch in the ovaries? You, know, you just sort of, uh, you have to stop and take stock. And so I, at the end of 2015, start of 2016, I had to decide what I wanted to do, which was quite refreshing because I'd not actually had that opportunity to stop and take stock about what it was that I wanted to do. And so I thought I would try a few things. So I started a number of businesses and sort of tried to continue on the consulting work that I'd already been doing. I started a few education programs, which haven't worked. Some of them, some of them have worked. Um, I've probably opened 12 companies. I've probably closed six or seven. And it's one of these things you've got to go in, try it, test it, be the startup, see if it works. I and mean, if it doesn't work, you either pivot it, sell it, or you close it. And so I've been through that business cycle now maybe three or four, three or four or five times to the point where I recognize where good opportunities lie now. It's better education than an MBA. Probably cost me the same amount as an MBA too, but better education than any MBA can probably give you. So I sit here now with the right people around me. I sit here with the businesses that are succeeding and putting my energy behind them. I had a couple of things that I thought were going to work, but when I got pregnant with my second child, I just couldn't do them. So I've just had to close them off and put pause on them for the moment but I've got other projects. I've just got so much to do. I'm a very good starter. I recognize that. Very good at starting, very good at knowing what I want to do, but then having enough energy to actually get finished and do things. Oh, that's where I fall over at the moment with having two kids under three. Um, well, yeah. It, 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 my career has not been a straight line and nobody's is. And if people are facing redundancy and retrenchment now, I would suggest, and I don't want to sign, sound you know, pious, but my the best one of the best things that happened to my career trajectory was getting made redundant. Um, a lot of people say that. Yeah, people don't know. It that. was a liberation. Yeah. We don't like to say it, but it was for me. I mean, 
I realized at that point that I would never, ever, ever, ever work again where a timesheet dictated whether or not I was a success or not. I would never, ever work again in a place where I would not hire the people that I was having to report to. You know, if you're sat in a place where you're being tolerated and not celebrated, get out, go to somewhere that you are. And if you can't find anywhere that's ready for you yet, create one. To have a portfolio career like you have, because you have some retainers and some appointments, like ANU is an appointment, um, some of your clients are retainers, and then you have some entrepreneurial companies of your own, and so on. It requires a set of skills and routines and behaviors. What do you think enables you to actually get that done? I know you're being tough on yourself and saying, oh, you know, it's hard to do it. But you, not, you, know, you, you probably can identify what enables you to actually do so much. You have to have a good team around you. Yes. You can't do it on your own, right? So my accountant is class one. Michael Cohen at Hoffman Kelly, if any of you are considering doing a startup, he is the man who will give you, you mention my name, you get an hour's free strategy off him. He is just genius. My businesses would not be what they are if we hadn't found him. And he was recommended to me by a friend via the Telstra Business Women's Awards. So it's all about networks. I, I say this quite often, your network is your net worth. And it really is. If you can build the right team around you. I've got an EA, Kate, who's in Melbourne. Um, and she is my right hand. When I first hired her, I think she saved me two or 300 emails a day. Like just that organizing a catch up thing, you know, that takes 10 or 15 emails. Sometimes I just don't have the headspace. Emails are my enemy. An email is someone else telling you what to do. That's where I am with emails. Really don't like them, but you've worked with Kate to organize today, right? She's awesome. Yes. So, yes. you know, having an EA was absolutely fundamental to me. It costs money, of course it does, but God, it saves me so much time. And the one thing I don't have enough of is time. And so you have to prioritize your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got great lawyers that I, I can go to when I need things like IP protection and trademarks and things. I spent a long time with my speaking career, creating good networks through corporates. Um, I'm actually really cutting back a lot of the consulting work, to be honest. It's not actually the most lucrative and it's probably the most time draining. And also people, I don't know, people expect a lot for free. And I, I just, I don't do that anymore. I don't have time. If someone wants to take my time, it's my time away from my children now. And I guess I was always very generous with my time. Yeah. Um, people would say, oh, can I meet you for a coffee? Can I chew your brain? And it's one of those terrible things when you first start off as a startup that you're wanting to establish your brand. And in doing so, you really do yourself a disservice in your time management. And this is where I didn't have the team around me. And so I was doing everything myself and it was exhausting. And I remember having a conversation with a person about this innovation they were working on in robotics and agriculture. And at the end of an hour, I said to him, fantastic. So how can I get involved? How can I help? And he said, oh no, I just wanted to meet you and tell you what I was doing. And that was a watershed moment for me because I could have just got 500 bucks out of the bank and just, sh- just gone, oh, there you go, $500, bye. I'm not wasting my time. And even now I have people that are like, um, oh, can you, can you please provide some assistance or advice on this? I go, yeah, and here's my engagement fee. Yes. And here's my, here's my planned fee for the next three milestones after that. And if I don't hear from them, I'm like, thank you for not wasting any more of my time. Because if you won't pay an engagement fee to tap into all of that knowledge that I've got, 20 years of knowledge that you're wanting to access, and you won't pay an engagement fee, we're not going to have a very happy corporate friendship. Um, Catherine, I, I think you and I are the same that we adore what we do, but we have not always been good at charging people for what we do. Hallelujah. Yes. Have you changed that? Yeah, I think I've had that discussion with you before. Yeah. I've got this thing now and it actually came to me, it would have been a year ago now. I was over in Florida. I was a judge on the Ocean um, Discovery X Prize and over in Florida, I was just pregnant. I was 11 weeks pregnant. I was morning sick to hell. God, it was a nightmare trip. I was over in Toronto where it snowed, which for a Queenslander is just not on. Um, And then um, (laughs) flew into New York and was actually sick on the plane for the first time in my life. I was just so unwell. And then I had to go to Chicago for a conference and then down to Florida to do this judging. And I was sat at a dinner with some friends of mine. and I was just so exhausted by six o'clock at night. I was just switching off, but I desperately wanted to catch up with my friends. And 
um, he said to me, he said, Kath, I used to have this job. I was working in recruitment and I was working, you know, with people and people would want to come and pick my brains and they would want to come and, and they would take all my ideas and they would just go and they would do it themselves. And there was just no honor amongst thieves, right? There was just, <laughs> there was just no honor at all. <laughs> and I said, well, what on earth have you done? He said, I charge an engagement fee. And I was like, really? Because I was like, huh? I don't know that I can do that. And I was like, why not? Everybody else that's asking me for advice is being paid by somebody else. Yeah. Like when I do speaking work and they want me to do it for free, originally I would do some, but now I really can't because it's, again, it's a day away from my children and my businesses and my academic portfolio now. I won't do it. And I remember stood there once and I was at this charity gig and I was thinking that woman pouring coffee is getting paid more than I am to do this. And I've just got to do oxygen mask on first here because if I fall over, my entire family falls. We all go. Right. So it's all on me. The pressure is immense. So pressure produces diamonds, right? And one of the diamonds that I will give everyone is if you're working independently like yourself, if someone wants to pick your brains, have a coffee or do what you say, well, I, I can meet you for a two hour session, but this, I charge $400. That's right. Or something like that. And if they go, oh, well, oh no, I just wanted to pick your brains. Go, I have to fill my work day. Like, you know, I'm not a charity giving out my IP to everybody for free. And it's a really hard thing for me as a person. And I think it might be a female trait. Just give, it's, give, give, be the good little girl. Tell everyone your ideas. Tell everyone, yes. oh, it's so hard. And I've had to be really hard on myself. It's a I'm female just, trait, but it's also a transition from being um, a permanent full-time worker. Mm. You're made redundant as you've had and I, as I've been as well. And then you decide, okay, I want to be a portfolio career person. I want to be my own boss and not knowing how to manage Renata Inc. Yes. Renata Inc. needs to get paid. Yeah. You have <laughs> and to there, is, there is an understanding amongst us that 70%, I mean, I was told this by the wonderful Div Pillai from Mind Tribes. I will mm-hmm. put the link on uh, the show notes. Um, as soon as I decided to open my business, Div and Vic came here for dinner and they said, 70% of your time will be business development. My friend, are you ready for that? Go. <laughs> you need to start, you know, finding your clients, locking in meetings, getting yourself out there. So that's business development. And that comes, it's active. You are seeking out opportunities. You're not going to charge for that. But as soon as the opportunities start coming, you need to be ready to engage in a financial deal uh, and, and as you said, have engagement fees or better still, you know, contracts, consulting, retainers, whatever you need to do to engage two or three or four different types of channels to keep yourself busy and replace that full-time um, job that you had before financially for you. So it's a transition and it can take up to two years that's what we oh, have found at Watermark uh, Search. Watermark does very good entering reports, entering executive search reports. So if you're interested in following a career that is a portfolio or a gig kind of type of career, look at their reports. There's one that just came out and it can take up to two years for you to feel like you've, yeah, you've, you're managing the, the flows of uh, money coming in. But I agree with you. I was thinking mm-hmm. uh, the other day with a client, you know, you see me and you think, how successful am I? You know, like you, you got the Telstra Award. Uh, but if you're a solo entrepreneur, you have this visibility that's amplified through social media. But there is a team of people behind me. And the most important piece is actually my husband, who has a full-time employment. <laughs> my husband is also my graphic designer, my website designer, our bookkeeper, yeah. the main carer for the kids when I have to do things like this. Um, yeah. You know, so yes, if I didn't The one who's him, interested in your microphone. <laughs> he's very, very particular about audio quality. Well, he's training up now to get in the movie and, and um, television industry. Oh, wow. So he's really, yeah, he's a self-taught media production genius. Yes. The other thing I wanted to talk to you, you you spoke about, you know, is this a female trait? Um, You're very interested in diversity and inclusion as well. And you're involved a lot in that, uh, in that STEM world. Uh, Tell me about what you do and how you see STEM and innovation, because I think that those are, they go hand in hand. Oh, you've got to have an inquiring mind. If you want to get into science, even if you want to be a generalist or if you want to get into a really deep vertical, you know, become like a quantum physicist, you've got to be able to ask the right questions, right? And see the world slightly differently. So the biggest thing about innovation, and it's been such an overused word, but innovation is actually a really innate human trait. 
doing things better, learning how to improve and do things differently. It's something we do as a child before we can speak. We are innovating, we are learning, we are iterating, we are testing the world around us. And that's what science is. We then start building things, constructing things, testing things. That's what engineering is, right? So we are scientific engineering technologists that try and find patterns in the world. So we're mathematicians. We are STEM effectively. That's who we are. Um, as a species and we just have some aspects of it we're better at than others I think Um, and that can even be tailored into the creative arts here I mean you know artists understand you know the the composite of the paints that they use um, and the quality of their materials people who are designers understand form and function people who create music understand how the brain works in reaction to music and and how sounds feel good or don't feel good and how to express emotions I mean that people say STEM instead of STEAM, uh, sorry, STEAM instead of STEM now. STEAM is the new buzzword. But for me, really, I've seen, <laughs> and in the business world, you'll know this, there are studies galore that are showing now that diverse board composition actually makes the business more money. So it's actually, I think, a fiduciary duty as a board director to make sure that there's a diversity of thought around that table. An area which isn't really well covered is probably neurodiversity. So by looking at gender diversity and ethnic diversity, you're actually trying to encourage neurodiversity around that table as well. I'm disappointed that there's still more male CEOs called Andrew than there are female CEOs on the ASX 200, I think it is. Um, But the only way is up, baby, as Yaz said in the 90s. And so we have to just take that and run with it. And and we have to learn from the past that when we open a door for ourselves, we have to also leave that door open for someone else to come behind us. And as a feminist, proud feminist, I will say to you that the future of feminism is intersectional. We have to remember I'm sitting here as a white Australian, British, straight woman who, yes, I had a working class background, but I had opportunities given to me and the system is still set for me in a way that I have privilege that many other people don't have. And I'm recognizing that, acknowledging that, and um, I'm actually doing something about it as well. And I think we all personally need to do something about how we open the door for other people, throw down the fishing nets, throw down the ladders, drag people up with us, take people on that journey. And I try to do that in everything. And and when I choose projects and who I choose to work with, and when I decided to say yes to ANU, the reasons why is because the people there lived and breathed the same value sets that I had. So STEM is fundamentally important to every job going forwards. It's fundamentally important to the Australian economy. It's fundamentally important to our cybersecurity, our national security, our food security, our fundamental health care, you know, look at all the wonderful work that scientists are doing now. Apparently kids in schools are in raptures about scientists. There's so many kids that want to be scientists when they grow up because of what's happened during COVID-19 and the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus outbreak. And I'm just like, this is wonderful that we will have children inspired into medical science and microbiology and epidemiology and um, trying to make the world a a more equal and healthy and happy place. But isn't it such a shame that it's taken this to actually cause that? But the, um, the shutdown and the coronavirus outbreak is being used for many, many things. Um, I think it's almost like everyone has got a really good excuse now. They can just say, Oh, it's COVID because of COVID. I can't do this or because of COVID I'm going to change how I work. And as a person that used to have, you know, contracts galore and stuff, those all drop off. You know, as soon as people are cost cutting, the first people that go with the consultants, which I don't necessarily think is the smartest way of approaching it. Actually, you have to look at what people are providing rather than the contracting mechanism that you have, but we'll see an exfoliation across higher education, um, which in many ways will be a massive mistake and a huge shame to get rid of young career researchers. But I know that there's people inside universities that could have retired 10, 15 years ago, you know, and it's just the immune system of the economy is going to kick over and we will actually boom. I I actually feel, I keep saying to people, you know, I'm feeling very tired and I'm trying to get over the fact I've had two kids too close together and I'm 41 and I'm really, and I've got all of this work going on. I'm like, 2020 for me now is getting my health on track and getting my businesses ready and getting my strategies ready because I know from all of the predictive models and from all of the industry, from things like aviation industry through to agricultural industry, through to smart cities, through to construction jobs, through to, um, you know, consulting work, through to everything, power, water, telecommunications, tourism, 2021, by the end of it, domestically will be about right to 2019 numbers. The end of 2022, the aviation industry is going to be back to 2019 numbers. By 2023, the aviation industry is actually going to be 20 or 30% 
bigger than the 2019 numbers. So if these predictions are going to be true, how do we use this time now to prepare ourselves? And one of the only ways we can prepare ourselves for this as an industry, as government, as board directors, is to have a diversity of opinion around that table, have a diversity of thought happening in the government level, and actually have people who are trained up and well enough ready and have these models ready to go. I don't know about you, but I feel exhausted and I'm not even in Melbourne. I feel exhausted by all of this now. I'm at the end of my tether with it. I'm like, come on, vaccines. Can we just do some vaccine stuff, please? Or the treatments. Can we just get the treatments out there, please? Um, and I'm just sort of like, ah, oh, why is it so not, why, are we, why were we not ready when we knew this was coming? So one of the next big things now it's will be planning. It's frustrating. We're not, we were not ready when we saw this coming. And, we um, knew it was coming as well. I mean, this is not something that was not predicted. Everyone knew this was coming. And you have a very scientific mind and you, you know, you, you're looking at the, the future ahead and you're very entrepreneurial. You can see all the opportunities, but your body doesn't follow, uh-huh. you know, the, the instinct is to cocoon yourself, especially in Melbourne. I don't know how it is in Brisbane. You, you tell me. But well, I'm a mother with two small I, children. So, you know, the protection mechanism, we have, we have it bubbling in the community here. We have yeah. little cases pop up here and pop up there from a couple of young women who came down to Melbourne to steal handbags and were flying on stolen credit cards. And no one seemed to red flag any of this thing in the system again. Do you know what I mean? They flew from Melbourne to Sydney and then Sydney to Brisbane, but no one red flagged their identity as having been in Melbourne. So then they lied on their forms and they, and they were allowed in and then out and then they were all over the place because of their criminality um which i think because of their alleged criminality let's mm-hmm. not be disparaging here or, or, yes. or causing defamation because of the alleged disparity and the alleged criminal behavior of these young women between where they said they'd been and what they did and when they then went around one of them wouldn't even cooperate wouldn't even say where she'd been um we then had this pop-up of a little cluster at a little um detention center and they reckon genomically it's linked to those girls so in young people this thing is mostly asymptomatic and it's just bubbling along till it hits somebody who's got a weakness or who's slightly older who has a worse case of it and then they go and get tested and so we we're we're almost we're not on lockdown but we're in lockdown almost by fear in that when you look at all of the places that all of these people that have now got cases have been, you go through it and you go, oh my God, that's really close. I've been to that cafe before for a friend's birthday. Like I know that place, you know, and it's sort of like, oh, even though we're not shut in our apartments, we are being urged to stay at home. The city is nowhere near as busy as it has mm. been. Nobody is really going out. Cafes are mostly half empty. We're not, we're not reveling in it here. There's no party attitude here. We've been reduced down again to 10 people gathering from the 30 that it was. And so, you know, these restrictions, they're kind of there, but they're invisible. In Melbourne, it's much harder, like, because you are literally restricted in the police. We are very restricted. But we're also now being encouraged to wear face masks if we can't socially distance. Mm. And, um, you know, quite frankly, did you not feel at the beginning of all of this that we should have been wearing masks? Oh, my, totally. Uh, my 26-year-old son, in fact, with some friends, brought in thousands of masks when nobody was wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Even in hospitals, people weren't wearing masks. And he, they, they gave masks away to medicos and, and health professionals. Mm-hmm. And we have to wear them in all the hospitals now. All the hospitals wear masks. Yeah. In this, well, because of this much. outbreak in Brisbane and Ipswich and Moreton Bay. You know, and so, you know, he's it's still 26 here. and he's not in the mm. science or health profession, you know. So I think that this is uh, something I, sometimes we have to learn from people we often think why, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking millennials, I'm thinking younger generations, I'm thinking people that are probably built in, I'm thinking Darwinism. <laughs> well, again, though, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive. It's the ones that are most adaptable to change. And they to are, they are younger. You have to have diversity, right? So your kids, Correct. The, you know, your son doing yeah. that, that was one person who's very different from you or I, but that's the, the thoughts and the ideas that we need about this. And I guess for future proofing and looking at new ways around career development and getting jobs, this is the key. You need to be spending time with people who are different to you, which is very difficult when you're on lockdown. I feel terrible for people that live on their own, that have been locked away on their own for six weeks. I mean, that's what happens to criminals. That's not what happens to peaceful, law-abiding citizens. Mm. And I'm really concerned about the long-term health effects of the lockdown, to be honest. 
Yeah. And I don't think that's going to come to fruition. A friend of mine's just had a cancer diagnosis and she was misdiagnosed by the first doctor. And if she'd just rested on her laurels and just walked along with that, she'd be dead in, by the end of the year. But she didn't. She went and got a second opinion and now she's got a really rough six months in front of her. But wow. it's not the death sentence that it would have been. So I'm wondering how many women have issues that need to see specialists? How many men have issues that need to see specialists? How many kids that have issues that need to see people? And you can't see anyone at the moment because you're on lockdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not good. Catherine, when you look at the forecastings that you've mentioned before about economies picking up again at the end mm. of 2021, 2022, they are going to pick up again, but they will, things will probably look different. Yes. And this is where tech is going to be a massive thing. And this is where if you are thinking that you're going to be made redundant or you have been made redundant or you're looking in a new way to where your career is going, there are a few areas that I would say you would be guaranteed for a job for life if you worked in them. Oh, please do tell. Well, cybersecurity is number one. Okay. Cybersecurity, you can get trained upon reasonably easily and you can start working in cybersecurity reasonably immediately. And if you are an Australian citizen as well, there are some areas of cybersecurity where they cannot hire in tech people from around the world to work on them. You can't come in on a 457. You have to be a citizen. You have to be a citizen, Australian mm -hmm. citizen. And mm -hmm. that would be the same. The podcast is listed overseas, that that would be the same in every country. So every country will have yeah. their own sovereign cybersecurity need and capability that they'll be mm -hmm. developing right now. And we know that actually, even because of people working at home, that the cybersecurity risk across the country has gone up because we've been working at home. We're not on cybersecure systems. We're using the internet in ways we haven't used before in terms of work. So our weakness as a country in terms of cyber has actually really, it's really got to the point of severity, to the point where, you know, the, the prime minister's talking about cyber attacks, large scale cyber attacks that are happening. There are 200 cyber attacks every second in Australia. Really? 200, 200 a second. I can't even wow. really deal with that. Um, but that's um, a huge number. And it's only going to get worse because the future of war is cyber. The future of national identity is around cyber security. The future of our economic stability will be around preventing people hacking into our big banks and into our water networks and into our electricity networks. Um, so if you have and you don't have to have computer science skills to get into cyber. That's the other thing. You can be a person with an arts degree who's always worked in administration and you've probably got a perfect set of skills for the cybersecurity world. So when we look at the fourth industrial revolution and all of the job losses that were going to be predicted from that, from use of AI and smart devices and robotics, the first wave was supposed to knock out statistically different. It was statistically significantly worse for women in their 40s, 50s, 60s that worked in administration roles. But those are actually the women that are best I think, for some of the cybersecurity roles, because to be a great person in cybersecurity, there are jobs, for example, where you need to have an understanding of process, an understanding of people, an understanding of human psychology and how teams work. And I think that any person who's worked in a senior admin role or a human resources role even has those kinds of skills innately in them. And this is where skills-based aptitude is actually becoming incredibly um, sexy in the world of uh, recruitment. Um, you've probably come across all of this stuff before though, Renata, where we do um, artificial intelligence streams through people's CVs to pick up candidates. Um, we've had ways in which we're trying to reduce gender bias in terms of hiring um, yes. by anonymizing things like CVs. And there was an interesting study that just came out in France where there was this top university. And I think 40% of women tended to be in this top class uh, uh, of, of graduates from this university. And it had to have an oral examination as well as a blind exam. So they got rid of the oral exams because of COVID. So it was only the written paper, which was an anonymized paper. And the number of women represented in that cohort went up to 80%. Wow. So 80% of those amazing people that passed at the highest level were suddenly female, whereas traditionally it was around about 40% because they got rid of the oral exam face-to-face -face and they anonymized everything. And I'm like, come on. So, yeah. you know, there's, um, there's opportunities in cyber, there's opportunities in understanding process, there's opportunities in artificial intelligence, there's opportunities in data management. And so if you have a look at some of the free courses that your state government may have put forward, here are TAFE Queensland. We have courses in business management, data management, um, cyber, a bit of cyber activity going on. There's some free courses or reduced price courses across universities. ANU, we've got a couple of grad certs that we put together for the federal government as part of their COVID work. Um, and one of those is on data. Um, Catherine, so do you think that these opportunities would then uh, present themselves as entry-level opportunities or would um, a mid-level uh, ma uh, manager 
mid-level executive be able to transition into a leadership role? Yes. Well, everybody's a leader, but you know what I mean? A leader yeah. of people of projects, if they have an understanding of what they're managing and trying to achieve. Oh, absolutely. And if people have um, ideas of wanting to be board directors, you know, to be a board director is already a pretty laborious thing. And you have to, you have to, be, per, you have to be properly compensated and actually really think about things in a different way when you're a board director. And one of the things that I'm really seeing as a need across our company directors in the country is an understanding of cybersecurity and its place in the risk framework. Um, so if you are a process person and a people person, it doesn't mean you can't be a tech person. And this is the one thing that's always bothered me about how our traditional education systems have worked is that you were either in the arts or you're in the science. You know, you're right, you, you split somewhere in school or something like that. I don't know what it is where you're one or the other. Well, Leonardo da Vinci was both. I'd like to think that I'm both. I speak a number of languages. Terrible at art, though. Always enjoyed a bit of a sing-song in the choir. Um, and I loved science. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of like a little bit of a polymath maybe when I was 16. I swear I was more intelligent when I was 16 sometimes than how I am now. I think it's just the tiredness speaking. But um, I think you could be graduate-level entry. So if your kids are thinking about university choices now, um, I really do recommend the College of Engineering and Computer Science at ANU because that's where I'm sitting. And I just know that some of the people in there are really constructing the future. Um, the three AI Institute that Genevieve Bell's put together is just um, first place in the world to even think about a new brand of en- a new type of engineer that we're going to need to engineer the systems, the cyber physical systems of the future. This isn't just about pumping out mechanical engineers or pumping out computer scientists. This is about looking at what we want the world to be like. And I guess the thing here too is, when you say to me, you know, because I call myself the scientific futurist. So if you were a futurist, how would you predict what was going to happen? Has it changed since COVID? And I'd be like, no, what we were expecting to happen is still going to happen. It's just going to happen in two years rather than 15 years. So if you are middle management, if you are a leadership aspirational, if you are a board director, if you are a graduate entry, if you are someone who's looking to create a startup or a business, there are pools of areas where we know Australia has no skills there's no weight of skills in people ready to go and get employed now. This is a skills and a training opportunity leading into a, a vacuum. We don't have enough people in these jobs, full stop. We just don't have them. So there's people will have to retrain. People will have to relearn. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's all I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, that's just a natural thing for me, though. I, I'm, a bit, I'm an outlier, though. Aren't you and I are outliers a little bit, maybe, aren't we? But maybe the outlier will become common. Yes. When you, when I, you know, 2019, I was holding boardroom briefings on Triple Three Calling Street, bringing in speakers to talk about AR, AI, and um, other types of technologies, diversity and inclusion, but also from more of a, um, a system-based approach. Mm. I, I felt that there is this tendency from senior executives to always work on culture first, issues first, organizational structures first, rather than address technology issues. Mm. I, I don't know if you've encountered that or maybe it's the sort yes. of... SMEs I that I was working with, I could see so much benefit from them adopting uh, data automation rather mm-hmm. than trying to change what was clearly a very unproductive work environment because the, the duplication of work, mm-hmm. whereas they were trying to fix up the organizational structure first. That's you know my why? forte. You know, I, I love talking to people about people culture. Don't get me wrong. You know, that's but. why they hired me. But I would, think, I would say, can I bring Diego, who is an expert in data automation, mm-hmm. to look if there is any way that we can actually fix this by actually stopping all of these duplication? And then you will see that the politics that you think is happening will actually disappear because people won't be, they won't be in, inside fighting. Mm -hmm. because they won't be doing each other's work anymore. Yep. And the problem here is, again, uh, not enough people who are in those levels actually have science and technology training. So there's there's too many people, I think, that sit as CEOs and board directors that don't actually have scientific and technological training. And this is, again, where I feel like there's a 
there's a wave coming where it will actually be part of fiduciary duty as a board director to understand new and emerging technologies. Health and safety law is helping with a few of these things. So with drone technology, for example, health and safety law in Australia has written into it a line that reads something like, if there's a known and available technology to use this, to, you can use to do this job and you don't use it to do this job and someone mm. gets hurt, well, <laughs> you're pretty much up for corporate manslaughter. And that makes people stand, that makes people stand up and go, oh, crumbs. So the levers, you're so right, the levers which we can push to ensure that work is done safely, timely, efficiently, they're not HR levers. They are who you hire, what you recognize as the skills that are required, to even understand the skills that are required. Are you educated enough as a manager, as a leader, to actually see what are the skills, what are the things that we're going to need? Mm. I remember doing my PhD typing into an Excel spreadsheet before we had voice to text. And I remember when I was working at a consultancy, one of my principals, a senior principal engineer, I think his charge out rate was $500. He was what I call a two-finger typer. So he was typing... <laughs> big reports because they got rid of all the typist pools. They got rid of, you know, so he couldn't dictate it to have someone type it because they got rid of all the support staff, right? They got rid of all the admin staff. They skinned the admin staff down and kept all the really expensive principals that could charge out money because their business model was on making profit for people in the US. Their business model wasn't looking at this business is going to be sustainable in five years. They're working on annual paybacks, annual 12 month cycle paybacks to their shareholders Mm. that, you know, and so, there's something wrong because you can game that system, make a load of money this year, and then the business falls over next year. But you as a man, you've done your 12, you've managed to meet your targets and tick the, tick the, the oh, don't get me started on that level of culture. But um, <laughs> when I introduced one of the senior directors of that company to the fact that you could dictate things on your iPhone, I said, you know, he said, oh, I spend forever just typing into this thing. I'm at the airport and I'm rushing. I was like, have you ever heard of the, the voice to dictation thing on your iPhone and you can actually write your emails by speaking at your phone. And he was like, what? And I showed him that one thing. And then he sent me an email about, um, maybe he wrote the, he wrote the email with his voice <laughs> about a week or so later. He was like, Catherine, you've changed my life. And I was thinking, this is obvious, but it's not, it's yeah. obvious to those of us that are in it. It's not obvious to those who are not. And it wasn't just a generational thing. This man was very intelligent. He'd been a director of a company for a very long time. But I'm thinking if he doesn't even know about the dictation function on an iPhone, how the hell would we be able to convince this person that they need data automation, that they need to have an admin person that's in charge of running the robots and, you know, they need to have an artificial intelligence that works on this. And, you know, it's not an IT thing. It's not an admin thing. It's a core way your business is going to be sustainable thing. And I think there's just, because people are panicked as well, they don't have the headspace in which they can take the breath to get the oxygen to their brain to learn about the technologies that are actually out there and available. People are like, oh, but robots are going to take my job. No, there was a factory that introduced robots, may have even been in Melbourne. Um, they introduced robots into the production line. And for every robot they bought in, they hired eight new staff because wow. they needed people to work alongside the robot in a different way to traditionally how they would have been working. But because it was so effective, it made the whole place more profitable. So that they had to hire more people. So mm, you've got to take the leap of faith. And the problem is that those of us that are on the spearhead of all of this in terms of technology, we know it. And I think most people aren't very good at communicating it. Or if they do communicate it, it's to people inside our own little Twitter bubble, right? The people, we follow people that we like and therefore we hear what we want to hear. Therefore we hear what we like. And it just goes on in this wonderful Ouroboros where we're all just eating our own tails, telling the same thing to each other again and again. Mm-hmm. What needs to happen is like with me and that chap, that director, we need to speak to the people that are making the decisions to say, look, you're going to save so much time. You personally will have time to have a glass of wine and listen to some classical music and not look at your phone for an hour before you go to bed because your emails will be done because you've talked them in rather than type them in when you think about the companies or people in australia that are truly innovative and that are making a difference i mean you're sitting here in front of me with a road mic Mm. and i'm you know very great aussie brand well known across the podcasting world for the amazing technology that they have what are you seeing what are the areas that we're really doing well in Australia, but what are the big gaps as well? Because we have some, don't we? We do, but you know what? I think they're kind of well-recognized. Deloitte did a study a few years ago looking at the, the, the 
dearth of people with STEM qualifications, particularly ICT qualifications, computer science, cyber qualifications. I think we've got a gap of about 40% between the people that we're going to be able to pump out through universities and the, and the jobs that need to be filled. And of the people that we pump through universities, they don't represent diversity in terms of gender particularly well. Um, some universities are better than others. But in general, I think, you know, engineers are 18% female, um, 18% women, I should say, 18% women that graduate as engineers. And that's not really enough. You need 50-50. But the the key here is that that gap of 40% between the people that are being produced and the jobs that exist, that's actually getting bigger. So in terms of the tech world, there's a load of opportunity. Um, And that'd be everything from your banks through to your insurance companies, through to the government, federal government, defense. There's going to be a huge push for these kinds of technologies inside defense. There already is. We've got a really great innovative defense industries um, part of Australia cybersecurity like i've already ranted on about i can't go on about that enough to be honest i think it's yeah. something that it's the next pandemic and, and if it hits it's going to be worse in many ways than than this one it is in different ways of course yeah. um but then we've got opportunities for example in even people like telstra have a cto a chief technology officer and they've got an innovation hub it's actually in melbourne um and so they're constantly looking at new thinkers and new ways of doing things especially with robotics they use drones on some of their projects as well when we look at things like um biosecurity plant diseases and agricultural security smart agriculture is going to be a huge opportunity going forwards when we look at things like um Okay, so some of the work that's going to be obviously open will be things like agriculture in terms of fruit picking. I think the federal government's going to give people income tax breaks if they go and pick fruit. So anyone whose kids were going to have a gap year and travel to India for a year, send them up to far north Queensland to pick mangoes for a season instead, I'd suggest. Get some cash in there. Those are some beautiful farms. Oh, oh my goodness. The I want to go there. <laughs> I, say, I need I a gap year after this. Can I have a gap year and pick fruit, please? Because that would sound really nice. <laughs> But um, then we've got places like healthcare, right? So if we look at healthcare, one of the things Australia is excellent at, I hate to say it, we're brilliant with viruses, right? So we've got the Doherty Institute in Melbourne that's like globally leading, running all of the tests for all of the vaccine trials. So in terms of big data, in terms of people, in terms of money, in terms of where things are going to get spent, there's going to be a lot of money put into pandemic proofing and preparation. It's one area that we are so much better than many other much larger countries than us. We really do punch above our weight. UQ have the vaccine team here again, that they are just leading the world with some of these technologies. So other areas Australia is really great at drone technology. We're really good at the non-military use of drones um, and how drone technology is going to be applied across businesses. Um, Our fintech and our finance you know we're pretty good pretty punch above our weight with that to be honest people forget you know for a population of 25 26 million we're ranked really highly in many of these areas of study Um, and it's not just that we've imported the right people and created the right aspects it's that we've actually grown them ourselves to the the Doherty Institute Peter Doherty's brilliant he's a national treasure that man he's a legend Um, I interviewed him for one of my books recently and um And he's just spot on, you know, with so many things, but he encourages women and he's known actually that his institute is great and his CEO is female, Susan Lewin. And um, there's some wonderful people that have produced some um, great cutting edge work with this particular coronavirus have been female run labs with entirely female teams, um, you know, that have managed to produce some, some wonderful things. Melbourne is amazing between Doherty, Mm. Monash, uh, CSL, Walter Walter and Eliza, St. Yeah. Vincent's, yeah. I mean, the pharma hub yeah. here is just incredible. It's really We're going to have the huge push on health. I think in Australia has always had a health culture that other countries haven't particularly, the outdoors, the surfing, um, you know, yes, we have obesity rates that aren't so great, but I feel like this pandemic is going to shake up how we work. I think we're going to drop to a four-day working week. I don't think we're going to stay with a five-day working week. I think we will start having health built into our careers. I love that um, so much. I love it too. The idea that, you know, that I don't know if we, if you and I are going to have four days, but I hope <laughs> I that whoever say, has a full-time a working week, I mean, I'm just like seven day work. No, but see, even I, the I'm problem having, about being a self, a solo entrepreneur is you work all the time, all the time, but you know, but you enjoy what you do. So it doesn't feel like work so much. No. But I mean, this is why I have my EA, right? To take away some of that drudgery. This is why I enjoy working at ANU because I get to chat about really cool and interesting projects. This is, you know, why I like to have the conversations I like to have. But um, look, it's a really dark moment. And I suppose anybody watching this who's worried about their career or who's interested in making a change, oh gosh, the time is now. We are going to have this, the speed at which we bounce back and the way our economy is going to bounce back has been predicted to be better than how we dropped. 
So the boom is actually going to be a drop. This is going to be such a great podcast to listen to. I just promote it to no end. (laughs) Just hold on. Like, you know, we'll have vaccines going into people and we'll be ring fencing with vaccines rather than lockdowns by Christmas, I reckon. And by April next year, the world will be a very different place. I just want people to look after themselves, be excellent to each other, to quote Bill and Ted, um, just to keep hungry and interested. Look at the free training that's available. Look at some of the graduate certs, get connected to a university, have a look to see, you know, maybe your alma mater, maybe have a look at what the ANU is offering. You know, there's, there's just so much, there's so much out there. And this is the time now where we need to look after ourselves. It's true, but I feel like it's a, people call it the great pause though. I've never been busier, but we've got an opportunity to take breath and and reorganize as we walk through this one-way glass door which we're all going through in our careers in our lives in how we view health and work and the economics of where we're sat we have an opportunity to choose how we want 2021 to be and how we want 2022 to be and how we prepare ourselves for that i'd suggest is now thank you catherine thank you you filled up a whole hour of great, you know, ideas, you know, I just don't need to worry about asking you any questions. I just can let you reign free. I will right. have you back in this podcast. I might have to get you an engagement fee, but <laughs> no, <laughs> this, is, this is my friend. And this is, you know, this, that's the wonderful thing. Can I finish matter. off by saying that the best thing about being a solo entrepreneur or anybody working, actually the best thing about being in the corporate sector is to have a great network of people you can count on. I know that if I have a big problem, even though I haven't seen you in a year, I can give you a call and you can call me if you need me in Melbourne as you've done. And as I've done, like it's the best thing. And I'm so grateful for that network that we both have, you know, j- not just the two of us, we have a whole bunch of mm. mostly women <laughs> that we can count on um, to, to help us out in our, in our journey. So that's, that's great. And everybody that's needs to key. have that. Mm. Mm. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. So what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Oh, I've got meetings back to back most of the day. Yeah. I've heard from Kate. Make sure she finishes at 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is now. But but look, thank you so much for having me. And if anyone wants to connect with me, you can find me through Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. More than happy to have a chat. Takes a while for me to get back to people at the moment though. Well, I put the World of Jones websites on the and the competition on the chat box, but I will have all of your links in the show notes when the podcast goes live as well. Thank you. Bye, darling. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time.